Welcome to Stories from the Midland, historic tales from Teller County and the surrounding areas. Today's story takes us out near the modern-day ski resort of Breckenridge to ride the challenging and sometimes deadly rails over Boreas Pass. This episode was written and is being presented for you by Tommy Allen. If you're driving to Breckenridge from Teller County, you'll eventually find yourself driving north on Colorado Highway 9 out of Hartzell. You'll pass through Fairplay and Alma and begin the long drive up to Hoosier Pass. While the drive up the pass is generally straight, the descent on the other side is very windy. But once you reach the bottom of the pass, the road more or less straightens out again and carries you into the popular ski resort town. Where the road down the pass straightens out, Monte Cristo Creek and Bemrose Creek come together to form the Blue River. The Blue River continues northward more or less along the current day Highway 9 through Breckenridge until it feeds into Dillon Reservoir just outside of Frisco. In August of 1859, when the area was still completely wild, a gold prospector from Georgia named George Spencer and his party of 28 men and one woman entered the Blue River Valley and began mining in an area about five and a half miles east of the present day ski resort. Word spread and a mining camp was soon established. As thousands of people began flowing into the area looking to strike it rich, Spencer identified the need to establish a town with a post office. He contacted John C. Breckenridge, spelled B-R-E-C-K-I-N-R-I-D-G-E, U.S. Vice President under James Buchanan, offering to name the new town for him if the VP would pull strings to get a post office built there. Breckenridge agreed, the burgeoning town was named for him, and the post office was put in place in 1860. But Breckenridge was a Democrat and therefore politically pro-slavery. And when the Civil War erupted, he accepted a commission in the Confederate Army as a Brigadier General. When news of this reached the town, it changed its name to Breckenridge, spelled B-R-E-C-K-E-N-R-I-D-G-E, -E, in 1861, perhaps after Thomas Breckenridge, one of the original group to enter the area with George Spencer. With the gold boom and the following silver boom, a railroad was needed into Breckenridge. The Denver, South Park and Pacific Railroad, which in 1899 would become the Colorado and Southern Railroad, was in competition with the Denver and Rio Grande to reach the mines at Leadville, and in the summer of 1882, the portion of the DSPNP's narrow gauge Highline Branch connected Breckenridge to Como, crossing over the Continental Divide by way of the 11,482-foot Boreas Pass. The route would connect all the way to Leadville by 1884, again crossing the Continental Divide at Fremont Pass, approximately 11 straight-line miles southwest of Breckenridge, and travel between there and Denver five hours faster than the D&RG route. But crossing the Continental Divide created its own set of problems given the elevation, exposure to the elements, and the necessity for steep track inclines with a lot of sharp curves. For an example on the weather, on January 2, 1914, the Summit County Journal and Breckenridge Bulletin reported, The wind was blowing a gale of 40 miles an hour on Boreas Pass at 11 a.m. Thursday, and the snow was piled in high drifts. 
the eastbound passenger train was delayed there for several hours. And on January 14th that same year, the Blue Valley Times front page headline was, Shut out from the world for seven days. No passenger or freight train since last Saturday. Boreas Pass ordered closed. And in its March 28, 1913 article, High winds drift snow, traffic over Boreas Pass suspended for over 48 hours, the Summit County Journal and Breckenridge Bulletin stated, Monday and Tuesday, the trains were able to get through each way, though very much delayed. But Wednesday's storm was too much for the trains to handle. Two engines were sent ahead of the westbound passenger train over Boreas Pass. These engines reached Breckenridge shortly after 5 o'clock in the afternoon. But the high wind drifted the snow back on the tracks, and the passenger train was stuck in shed number 4 and was unable to move forward or back until rescued by a force sent out from Como. In addition to the protracted weather delays, the route also had more than its fair share of wrecks. In 1899, the Rocky Mountain newspaper reported about a September 8th train wreck it claimed was one of the worst wrecks in the history of the South Park Railroad. Train number 82 left the Boreas Pass summit towards Breckenridge, the engine pulling 16 ore cars and a caboose. Almost immediately after starting its descent, the engineer lost control. The air brakes had no effect on slowing the train, and the engineer whistled for the crew to set all the handbrakes. But this also had no effect on slowing the train. The train continued to build speed until it shot off the tracks, followed by 13 of the 16 ore cars. Engineer Schwartz was pulled alive from under the remains of the engine, but fireman Sam Clayton was found dead with his skull crushed and his legs torn from his body. But while Bud Schwartz escaped this crash with only minor bruises and recovered, he would be killed under nearly identical circumstances on March 19, 1909, almost 10 years after his first wreck. In its article, Sad Havoc of Runaway Train, the Durango Semi-Weekly Herald reported, Running away down a steep grade from Boreas Pass on the crest of the Continental Divide at 90 miles an hour, 16 cars loaded with ore left the rails at a sharp curve four miles from here last night, and Bud Schwartz, the engineer, was killed. The train left the tracks four miles north of Como, and while the rest of the crew leapt from the train, Schwartz chose to stay at his station to try to bring the train under control in what the newspapers described as the spectacular race to death in darkness. The entire train left the tracks, piling up some 40 feet away, completely clear of the tracks and not interfering with the right-of-way. Engineer Schwartz was the only person left on board, and his body was found under the wreck, his head almost completely severed from his body. In their book, CNS Platte Canyon Memories and Then Some, Tom and Denise Klinger give five other examples of fatal train wrecks between 1901 and 1928, and seven other weather closures and delays between 1903 and 1923. Many other incidents occurred on the route beyond these instances. In 1910, the Colorado and Southern Railway announced it would close the High Line for the winter. 
Summit County, not wanting to be cut off from the outside world, waged a legal battle against the C&S, and the State Railway Commission ordered the route kept open. Fights over winter closures would continue, with Summit County accusing the C&S of closing the High Line when it could have cleared the snow. But with all its troubles and challenges and a temporary abandonment in the 1920s, the High Line proved vital enough to stay in service for over 105 years, finally being permanently abandoned in 1986. Thank you for listening. This is Tommy Allen, and on behalf of Trevor Phipps, have a great day. And should you find yourself looking up a snow-packed mountain in a blizzard, you may not want to consider taking a train trip up it. We look forward to having you join us next time for more stories from the Midland. References used in this episode are listed on its webpage. Visit storiesfromthemidland.com slash podcast. You'll pass through Fairplay and Alma and begin the long drive up. And who? And who? Da, 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 da. Two engines were sent ahead. In its article, Sad Havoc of a. In its article, Sad Havoc of Runway. In its article, Sad Havoc of Runaway Train. In their book, CNS Platt Catton. Ha ha! Gosh!